Luke chapter 23. Again, we've been going through this series on the book of Luke going back to last February. I think it's really cool that uh, we ended up right around the vicinity of uh, the crucifixion resurrection story as we approach Easter Sunday. It just seems real timely. Um, and, and we're going to continue talking about it as we lead up to that today. Now, there's a lot going on in these chapters. So what we're going to do today, you know, when you watch a TV show and at the first of it, especially if it's been a long season, there's been a lot of stuff happening. You know, maybe it's closing in on, you know, the end of that season for that show. At the beginning of the show, they'll say previously on, you know, whatever this show. One of my old little favorites was Lost. Previously on Lost. You know, or previously on This Is Us, right? Ladies love that one because it makes them cry. Uh, the different ones. Previously on this, and they would cut to about 60 seconds of scenes like, here's what's been going on. Here's what's been happening so that you remember where you are in the story when you get up to uh, what they're about to show you. And so that's what we're going to start out with. Uh, and then we're going to have to cover some of these parts pretty briefly and, and don't worry, we're going to get into them in a deeper way on Wednesday nights because we're going to keep on going through the book of Luke on Wednesday nights until we get finished with it. But we're going to cover that and I want to get to a passage today in chapter 23 uh, and bring out two uh, big points for us. Uh, but, but leading up to where we are, Jesus has been ministering uh, preaching the kingdom of God for three years. And then now he has turned his face towards Jerusalem, uh, headed there, kind of the center of all activity in the, the, the Jewish world at that time. It's where the temple was. It's where everything really went on. And he had stayed away from there uh, during the latter part of that three years. And so he's going in and there, there's a lot of anticipation around that, right? This is Palm Sunday where we remember that when he came in, his triumphal entry into the city, which we've read about, we've talked about. And, and he comes in and we know there's some things going on. We know that the chief priests and the scribes are looking for an opportunity to kill him. They want to destroy him. They want to get him out of the way. They're looking for an opportunity to do that. We know that one of his 12 disciples, Judas Iscariot, is looking for an opportunity to betray him to the very ones that want to kill him. And then he and his disciples were looking, what, for a place to celebrate the Passover. And again, we'll, we'll get deeper into the Passover at some point, but uh, just a beautiful image of what Jesus Christ is to us in our life, the fulfillment of all things. But they celebrate that together and he tells them, you know, the time has come, you know, one, even one of you is going to betray me over to those who, who want to kill me. And then last week, we talked about how he told Peter, you're going to go through a season of personal difficulty and pressure here. And he told them as a group, it's about to get tough. You know, you've gone through a time where everybody liked you and everybody thought you were great because you were with me. But now everybody's going to turn against me. And that also means they're going to turn against you. And then he went and he prayed in the garden to God the Father. And he said, if there be any way that this cup the cup of this suffering, what's about to happen, can happen any other way. Let's do it the other way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he's praying in the garden and he goes and his disciples, who he's asked them to pray with him, lest they fall into temptation. They've fallen asleep. And then as he's rousing them and getting them up and the temple guards coming to arrest 
Jesus. Judas said, I'll turn him over to you at a time where there's nobody else around, where there won't be a crowd that's drawn up because of it. Because why? They were afraid of the people. They wanted to get rid of Jesus, but they also wanted to stay in prominence and power amongst the people. And so they come at him with swords and clubs. And he says, what is this? I was just around y'all earlier today and you didn't treat me like this. But nevertheless, I understand what's going on. The, the, the hour of darkness is, is here. And so they take him into custody and they take him to the house of the high priest after he's betrayed by Judas. And Peter's the only one that follows him to the house of the high priest. And they're accusing him of all manner of things that he's not guilty of and being a person that he is not. And Peter's out in the courtyard close by. And we know that's when Peter denies the Lord three times that he even knows him. Hey, weren't you with him? No, that wasn't me. Hey, you sound just like him. I'm pretty sure you were the guy that was with him. No, it wasn't me. And like, no, you were definitely with him. You were like one of the loudest, most talkative people that was with him. And he's like, I, I, no, I don't know him. And it tells us in here that it was with an earshot of the Savior. And he turned and he looked at Peter when he said it the third time. And Peter went away weeping bitterly because he had denied Jesus, the one that he had followed. And so at the high priest's house, um, again, they're accusing him of all manner of things that he hasn't done. He has to deal with Peter denying him, which is just as we go through this, you see how much Jesus actually loves and how committed he was to the cause that the father sent him to accomplish. That even when those close to him betrayed him, even when the ones closest to him wouldn't step up and go, yeah, I'm with him. Whatever y'all want to do, y'all may hate him, but you can hate me too. But when the ones closest to him ran, when the ones closest to him denied him, they take him before the Sanhedrin, which is an assembly of the elders and the Pharisees. And, and they, again, condemn him and say, you know, you have blasphemed uh, in, in what you have said. And we talked about this when we talked about why he calls himself the son of man. And he refers to that in this piece of the passage in verses 60 through 71. Um, and they, they continue to treat him terribly and, and beat him and mock him during this time. And then they take him to Pilate at the beginning of chapter 23. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, the one who was over that area uh, on behalf of Rome. And they take him to Pilate. And remember why they took him to Pilate? Because the Romans were the only ones that could execute someone legally. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to execute and destroy, rid themselves of Jesus Christ. And so they bring him before Pilate. And we talked about this when we went through Advent, when Pilate said, are you a king? And he says, well, you say that I'm a king. And he's like, I'm not a Jew. I'm not talking about that. They brought you to me and they have said this, you know, who, who are you? And that's when he said, this is the reason that I came into this world. And it's for this reason that I was born to testify to the truth. Right. And Pilate says, I don't have any grounds. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Y'all are saying this man has done all of these things. I don't find any of that. And they were like, no, surely you do. 
because he's stirring people up. He's causing a problem. He's going to be a problem for you. You need to deal with this. You need to get rid of this man. And he says, well, isn't he from Galilee? I'm going to refer him to Herod, who would have been the Jewish ruler over the area under the Romans, under Roman control, actually, but still gives a little bit of credence. So we got local people in charge of this. He sends him to Herod and Herod. Jesus doesn't say anything to him, doesn't even speak. And Herod also finds no no thing on which to convict Jesus. Pilate basically referred it back down to a lower court, right? You see that with the Supreme Court, like, we're not going to hear this. Y'all need to hear this in a lower court. And Herod goes, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what we can do with him. He won't even talk about it. I don't see that he's done anything wrong. And I think it's interesting that Jesus wouldn't speak. He wouldn't open his mouth when he's talking to most of these people, because if he were to open his mouth, what was going to come out? The truth. The absolute, complete truth. And it would have just blown the whole thing. There's no telling what their minds would have done if he would have told them the truth. So he kept it right here. So Herod refers him back to Pilate. And here's where we want to get today. I told you that was going to be a little bit of a walk. And don't feel bad if you, I really want to hear more about that. Come on Wednesday night. We'll, We'll dig into all of those as we go through in the next few weeks. But Herod, the Jewish leader over Galilee in that area, refers him back to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And then I want us to read in chapter 23 and starting in verse 13. Because Herod's returning to Pilate with a kind of like, I don't know, I don't find anything wrong with him. I don't know what they're talking about. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders and the people and said to them, you have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. Then they all cried out together, take this man away, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and released the one they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. So Jesus had stood before the high priest. He had stood before the Sanhedrin. He had gone before Pilate, who had referred him to Herod, who referred him back to Pilate. And Pilate looks at the chief priest. He gathers them all together, the ones that have accused Jesus, the ones who have said these things about him. And he tells them, you've presented this man to me to be one way, but I find him to be another way. They had misrepresented who Jesus was and what he had done They had called him something that he wasn't. And you even see that. uh, You you see it all through history. You see it today. People will tell you things about Jesus that aren't true, aren't true of him. And Pilate had that same reaction. He said, I find no fault with this man and neither has Herod. He's done nothing to deserve death. He says, so I'm going to whip him 
and release him. Now, why are you whipping a man who you say hasn't done anything? He said, I don't find any grounds on which to charge him. He said, I definitely don't find any grounds on which to execute him. Tell you what we'll do. We'll just whip him real good and then we'll turn him loose. Why are you doing that? Why are you whipping an innocent man? He's trying to keep the peace by treating Jesus with disrespect. He's trying to keep the peace amongst the people by throwing Jesus under the bus. See, he didn't want to cause a stir. He didn't want that to come back on him. So he put it off on Jesus. He was like, okay, y'all are mad. Okay, what if I, we'll, we'll whip him and then we'll send him out. See, that's the same temptation that Peter faced. There was difficulty and trouble facing him. And instead of dealing with it, he put it off. on I don't know him. He distanced himself from Jesus and denied him, denied that he knew him, denied that he loved him because the situation had gotten out of hand. And so we see there that Pilate didn't stand for anything other than self-preservation. All he wanted to do was get out of that mess. All he wanted to do was get out of this chaotic situation because the hot tempers of prideful men were heating up. Their anger was rising and everybody could feel the heat. So Pilate's trying to play two sides from the middle. And that will always put us in a bad place. It can work out if you're trying to negotiate an agreement between two sides that want to agree. It can be a really good thing. But if you're trying to negotiate something between two sides that don't ever intend to come to an agreement, it's not going to work. You get stuck in the middle. But that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to placate the people, but still go, ah, there's nothing wrong with this guy. This guy hasn't done anything wrong. And all this time, we need to remember as we're talking about this and as we go through this, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. Jesus knows what is coming up. He knows what has to happen. We know that because he prayed about it in the garden. We know that because he told his followers about it, even though they didn't understand it when he kept telling it to them. We, we could look back in chapter 18 where he told him everything written by the prophets about the son of man will be accomplished. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked, insulted and spit upon. And after they flog him, they will kill him. But then he will rise on the third day. He told him that in chapter 18. He had told him two times before that. In chapter nine, this is what's going to happen. He wasn't ignorant to what was going on. He was he was completely aware of what was happening because see, he didn't just come to preach the kingdom, but he came to open it up to us. He didn't just come to tell people about something. He came to make it available. And what stood in the way was what sin and death. He knew that's what had to be defeated. So he knows what's going on. That's why he stood silent in the face of their lying accusations. Because he, he knew what needed to take place. Again, if he had opened his mouth, truth would have poured out. So that's why he stood silent as they talked about him unjustly, talking about punishing him without cause. That's why he didn't talk. So here he is in front of Pilate and Pilate says, I'll whip him, but I'm going to turn him loose after that because I find no fault in him. And then they, they cried out. Look at verse 18. 
They cried out together, take this man away. That language, do away with this man. Not just get him out from in front of us, but do away with him. End him. Get him out of here. They cried, take him away and release Barabbas to us. Now we know from reading the other gospel accounts in Matthew and in Mark that it was Pontius Pilate's custom to release a Jewish prisoner every year at the Passover. It was kind of like a little superstitious thing. It kept the people happy. It kept the peace. So that's one thing that he would do. He would release a prisoner every year at the Passover. And so they're hollering out for Barabbas to be released. And it says Barabbas was a rebel because there were plenty of people that didn't like Rome's rule over them because Rome was awful to them. And so you had these little militias cropping up that would plan and plot and try to overthrow the Romans. And Barabbas was a leader of one of those groups. It says he led an uprising and even committed murder in the act of rebellion. So I want you to see this in verse 20. It says that Pilate wanting to release Jesus, wanting to release Jesus, it says he spoke up again, but he was drowned out by their shouts of crucify him, crucify him. So shouts coming from the crowd, the chief priests and the leaders, and then through them, the people crucify this man. Shouts of condemnation and violence and death, not just death, but crucifixion, violent, torturous death is what they're shouting for. And yet we see Pilate is wanting to release Jesus. Verse 22, a third time Pilate said to them, why he's not done anything wrong? I find no grounds for the death penalty. Again, I'm just going to whip him. I'm going to turn him loose. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And their voices won out. And so he granted their demand and released Barabbas, who was the rebel, convicted of you know, murder in the act of rebellion. And then Pilate handed Jesus over to their will. So I want to talk about two things here. One that, two, two points at least, one that's really big picture and one that's more targeted as far as our individual hearts. The first thing is that sin kills love and goodness. Or at least tries to, doesn't it? Sin in the heart of people will kill love and goodness. Remember, Jesus came preaching repentance. Change the way that you think because I'm opening the kingdom, life everlasting, life and life more abundantly in right relationship with God the Father. And yet here he is suffering at the hands of lawless men to save lawless men. Here he is about to die in order to defeat death. The sin in their lives was going to attempt to kill the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Of course, we know what he said in verse uh, John chapter 10 in verse 17, he said, this is why my father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it 
from me, but I lay it down on my own. I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. He was laying his life down, but they sure thought they were taking it from him. He was laying his life down, but they meant to take it from him. And, and why, would, why would they want to do that? It says that Jesus went about doing good. Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good, healing all of those who were afflicted by the devil. Why did they want to kill him? Because he was pointing out that they weren't okay. He was pointing out that they weren't righteous. He was pointing out that without him, they weren't good. They weren't on the right path, that they were sinners in need of a savior. And sin will lash out at anything that is truly loving or truly good because it's contrary to it by its very nature. Hearts filled with darkness demanded the death of the only one who could save them. Isn't that how sin works in our life? It'll cut the rope that's meant to hold us and save us. It'll push away the relationships that are meant to be a blessing and a gain to us, a strength and a peace and a hope to us. It will crush everything good in our life because that's the only thing that it can do. The wages of sin is death. That's the only thing that it can work. That's the only thing that it can earn. Sin lashes out at anything that is truly loving and is truly good because it's contrary to it. Again, he was the only one who could set them free. He was the only one that could heal them, the only one that could deliver them, the only one that could introduce them to that abundant life. And yet there they were wanting to, trying to, passionately trying to kill him. Of course, we know even in that death, his purpose, the purpose of the father was going to be accomplished But that's what sin does. Sin will isolate us. It will cut us off from the truth. It'll cut us off from love. It'll cut us off from everything good. It'll kill goodness every time it gets the opportunity because sin works death. But in this, we see how dark sin actually is. Again, these are the people that are supposed to know God. They had the scripture. These are the people that are supposed to have been close to him. And so we see the darkness of sin, but we see the light of his love and his grace, even in this. That's how big his love and his grace are, that even in the face of all of that, it still stands and still overcomes. So that's the big picture of what's going on. But I want to cover something in this passage uh, that I believe we can identify with. I believe that we can find in our hearts out of this little story with Jesus before Pilate, because it says he wanted to release Jesus, right? That's what it says in verse 20. Wanting to release Jesus, he kept saying to the people. So he wanted to release Jesus, but he ended up turning Barabbas loose. He wanted to release Jesus, but he ended up releasing Barabbas. I remember, Barabbas was a rebel, had led an uprising, even killed, murdered in the act of rebellion. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, 
but turned Barabbas loose instead. Why did he want to release Jesus? In his heart, he knew there's nothing wrong with this man. This person standing before me is good. Can you imagine having Jesus stand before you and compare him to anybody else that you've ever come into contact with? There's goodness there that is more than you could ever imagine. And even somebody like Pilate, who was not good, could see that. We have it in another gospel account. Even his wife came and told him, she said, don't you do anything to that man. I had a dream about him last night and it's still bothering me today. There's nothing wrong with him. You better not do anything to him. So he knows somewhere in him that the right thing to do was to release Jesus, that that was the good thing to do. Even he couldn't deny it. And again, he was not good, not even close, not at all. He wanted to release Jesus, but instead turned Barabbas loose. How many times have you found yourself knowing the good and the right thing to do and then yet ended up doing what you knew wasn't the good and right thing to do? All right. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but instead released Barabbas. We can know the right thing to do. but it can sound like a lot better idea to turn Barabbas loose. We like that idea, that the idea of Barabbas. You look at movies, TV shows. We like to watch stuff about guys like Barabbas. Guys who are like, I'm not taking this anymore. I've had enough. I'm not taking any more of your lip. I'm going to do what I want to do, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Right? There's a part of us that likes that. It started out with us watching stuff like, you know, I'm going all the way back for longest TV show ever for the longest time. Gunsmoke. What what was it? I'm going to make this right. I'm going to fix this. I don't care what what I've got to do to do it. So it started out being the lawman. Right. We like the lawman shows. But if you look at it even more recently, the last 10 or 20 years, we like to just watch the shows about the criminals. The ones who when they get mad at somebody, when somebody does them wrong, they just pound them into a pulp. Right. And we go, oh, yeah. Right. Why? Because there's a part of us that likes the way Barabbas does things. How he accomplishes what he wants to do. And again, he doesn't care if you don't like it. But you should just be, like I said, the law enforcement. I will watch it just straight up mafia. <laughs> we want to see it. We want to see why it must feel so good to just do what you want to do. Right. Barabbas is leading uprisings. Killing those that got in his way. And it's important to remember, that's not what God was doing during this time. That's not where God was moving during this time. God wasn't saying, hey, y'all arm yourselves. Take everything up. Let's go. Let's fight it this way. Who was God working through? Jesus. That's what he was doing during this time. And so there were guys in this crowd who have gathered up while all this is going on that should have been following Jesus, but were instead following Barabbas. They should have been listening to the teachings of Jesus, but they were following after the ways of Barabbas. And what was his way? It's my way. It's I'm going to do this. I'm tired of this. I want to fix this. I'm going to do it in the way that I see fit. And it happens to us too, just like Pilate. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but instead he turned Barabbas loose. We know 
that the Spirit of God is wanting to release the anointing of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus in our lives. We know that. We know that he's wanting to release it through our lives. You can't be a believer and read the Bible and doubt that. You, we, we know that. We know that. But yet, we can keep running with Barabbas. We can keep doing things his way. Which, what does that mean? It's our way. It's my will. It's the way I want to do things. It's my desires and my reactions. I'll never forget the first time I read that when Paul wrote about that in Romans. He said, what I want to do, I don't do. But what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. I read it in New King James. It was that which I will not to do that I practice. <laughs> that which I will to do, I do not do. But that which I will not to do that I practice. And I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about. How many times have I felt that? I know what I want to do here. I know what I need to do here. And yet I do this. And then I'm like, man, why'd I do that? I'm just like Pilate. I'm wanting to release Jesus, but I just end up turning Barabbas loose. Why? Because it's easier to do that. It's easier to let Barabbas handle it. It's easier when I get mad or anxious or upset or worried or afraid to just say, Barabbas, let's go. Let's do Barabbas things. Why? Because I feel like I'm in control when I'm doing that. Am I? No, I'm not. But I feel like I am for at least a little bit. Because again, there's a part of us that goes, yeah, the Barabbas way. Let's do it that way. Even when we know in our heart and in our mind, Jesus has a better way of handling this. Paul said it. What I don't want to do I end up doing. And what I know I should do, I'm not doing. It's wanting to release Jesus, but instead turning Barabbas loose. And again, Pilate legit wanted to release Jesus. We legit want to be like Jesus. That's the holy desire that comes into our heart when we experience salvation in him. We want to walk like him. And yet we can find ourselves continuing to act like Barabbas. Pilate, legit, Pilate was lost, completely lost, and he knew it was better to release Jesus than Barabbas. Even when we're lost in our sin, running with the Barabbas attitude full time, it doesn't remove from us the desire to have the life that Jesus is offering. That desire is going to be in us regardless of how far we are from God is to want the life that Jesus is opening up, that abundant life. That's what we want. We just can't reach it. Right. We want Jesus, but we're running with Barabbas when we're lost. We don't even know that Jesus is what we're wanting. We know there's something out there. We know there's something past where we are that we want. And once we have it, that will be right. But we're going the Barabbas way of getting it. And we don't even realize that it's Jesus because Barabbas. Think about it. He's probably wanting good things. He's wanting his people to be set free. He's wanting for them to have peace and prosperity in the land. That's what he's wanting. What he's wanting is good. But in the way he was going about it, he was never going to reach it. He was never going to reach it. We have, I say it all the time, we have in ourselves the desire for perfection, but we don't find in ourselves the ability to bring it about. We have the desire for what the Bible calls shalom. 
The perfect peace of God where nothing is broken, where nothing's missing. That's the desire that we have in ourselves. That's the hunger that we have, but we don't have the ability to bring it about. We have the desire for perfection, but we do not have the ability. And if that's you, then the answer is repent of doing things like Barabbas, releasing Barabbas and follow Jesus. It's time. It's time. Amen. Because that's the only way to life. But even for followers of Christ, for his disciples, we still deal with that. We still deal with that. We know a little bit more about it. We understand it a little bit more clearly. But we're still learning. We're learning to pay attention to who we're running with. Am I running with Jesus or am I running with Barabbas? Am I thinking about this like Jesus or am I thinking about this like Barabbas? Because what am I wanting to release? Jesus. Am I turning Barabbas loose? When we don't get our way, who's showing up to handle things, Jesus or Barabbas? When we're afraid, who's showing up to handle things, Jesus or Barabbas? When we're dealing with those times of need or chaos and conflict in our life, who are we letting handle? Who are we turning loose? Are we releasing the anointing, the kingdom of God into the situation or are we getting Barabbas back out of his cell and saying, hey, man, I got something else I want you to handle like last time? Yep. Same thing again. They, they keep acting up. We need to make them listen. Right. Who are we letting handle? Are we releasing Jesus through our life or are we getting Barabbas back out of his cage and turning him loose? When we've had a hard day, who shows up? Jesus or Barabbas? Who do we let answer that bell? Jesus or Barabbas? When we're having a good day. Is it Jesus or is it Barabbas? Who are we looking to? I want us to think about that as we as we go through this week as we approach Easter where we celebrate the resurrection that changed our life, that defeated sin and death for us. Who are we letting handle things? Because we can still be tempted to let Barabbas run the show. We can say we're following Jesus. We can want to follow Jesus, but keep turning Barabbas loose. And Paul wrote about that in Ephesians. And I'll close with that. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, 22. I, won't, I could read more of this, but I'm not, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all. He says, take off your former way of life. The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. The Barabbas way. Take off that old man, that old way of life who is corrupted by deceitful desires. Those desires that told you you could have this if you did this, but deceitful. So it means they were lying. You didn't get what they promised. Take off the former way, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, made new again and put on the new self. 
the one that's created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. The Jesus way of life. He says, therefore, put away lying. Speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Being angry and sin. That's the Barabbas way. If you get angry, don't sin. Whose way is that? Jesus. That's the new man. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil opportunity. Opportunity to what? Turn Barabbas loose. Let him answer the bell and take care of the situation. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he has to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. It's a new way of life. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander be removed from you along with all malice. Stop letting Barabbas out to handle things that way. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Amen. Amen. He wanted to release Jesus, but in the end, the voices of the people won out and he released Barabbas. When we're faced with those trials and difficulties and issues and even just choices in life, Barabbas is going to be hollering really loud from his cell. Let me out. Let me do this. Let me handle it. We know how to do this. Remember, this is how we take care of things. And the Bible calls those deceitful desires. It's saying he's promising, if you let me out, I'm going to free the people. If you let me out, I'll take care of the Romans. If you let me out, there'll be peace in the land. If you let me out, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. It'll work this time. And for Pilate, those voices won out and he released Barabbas and he gave Jesus over to their will. But for us, when that's happening, we can't let those voices win out. We can't let them win out. We can't expect that we're going to be perfect. You're going to, he's going to get out. He's going to run part of your life. And then you're going to be like Peter and like the others and go, that was wrong. That was a mistake. Get back in there. Get back in there. Stop it. We're not doing things that way anymore. This is the way we're doing things. And as you put a focus on it and you trust in him that the same grace that saved you will continue to change you into his image, you're putting on that new self. And you're handling things through him instead of the old way. How are we doing it? His way or the old way? Amen. Let's pray. And then we'll get ready to sing together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the holy desires that you've put on the inside of us. God, that we can look to those as even proof of our salvation, that what we want has changed as we've been seeking after you. Those holy desires on the inside of us to see things done your way, to see your kingdom come and your will be done. The knowledge that there is a better life in you than anything else we could ever imagine. I thank you, Lord, for that. And I thank you that you have equipped us to put on the new man, to take off that old man, to leave Barabbas locked up in the cell, that the old things would pass away because behold, all things you are creating new. 
I thank you, Lord, that when we encounter those points in our day today and tomorrow and throughout this week, that we'll be mindful of this word. We'll be mindful to follow through on our desire to see Jesus released in our circumstance and not turn Barabbas loose instead, to not turn back to the way of the flesh, to not turn back to the way the old man does things, but God, to in Jesus Christ, see the victory because his way is the best way. I thank you that you're changing us from the inside out that we won't just want to see Jesus released in our life, but we will actually release the anointing of Jesus and his kingdom in our life. That it'll change our circumstance and our heart first and then outward from us, change those who are around us so that they'll see the better kingdom and no longer follow after the ways of Barabbas, but instead follow the truth that has changed us. Thank you that you're changing us from where we were to who you've called us to be. We know we're not there yet. But Father, I thank you that you haven't quit working on us. You haven't left us alone. And that you always, always finish what you set out to do. And we thank you for that. Thank you as we leave today. Lord, we go in peace and unity with each other. Keep us safe. Bless your people. I thank you that you give us this day exactly what we need from you to carry us, to sustain us, to uphold us and strengthen us as we go. I thank you that you will fill us with your love and that it'll push us to those around us. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.